Father, we're just so blessed uh, to, to celebrate the season of Easter and your resurrection and your death for us on a cross. And what a, what a great uh, blessing that is. Lord, we, we, it'll take all of eternity for us to just understand what you've done for us. I mean, just, to, just when we ponder the thought that, that God Almighty would empty himself of his glory and, and come to this earth and, and uh, as a child in Bethlehem and grow up to go to a cross to die for our sins, Lord, it's just, and the, the thought of that is way beyond anything we can comprehend. But we just, we just thank you that you did it, Lord. We thank you that, that uh, through Christ we've been, our sins have been paid for and we've been made alive. And Lord, help us to share the Easter story. Help us to share it to this lost and dying world. And Lord, in today's text, you're going you're gonna to show us how. And Lord, it's, it's not a pleasant way to do it, but it's probably the most effective way. And that's through our submission. And so I ask you to teach us some more about submission today as we, as we look at 2 Peter and we look at the story of Easter in 2 Peter. Uh, we, just, we just ask for you to bless this study and uh, Lord, empower us and embolden us to, to be messengers of this great Easter story. I ask you to do that in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen. Well, happy Easter. What do you think of when you think of Easter? The Easter bunny and Easter eggs? I hope not. I can pick on Matt Huber because he's not in here, but I know what he thinks of. I know what he thinks of at Easter time. He thinks of those little yellow marshmallow chickens called Peeps. I'm not lying, am I? He loves Peeps. I've seen him eat a whole box of those Peeps in one church service. I saw somebody give him one at the beginning of a church service. At the end, I asked him for one. He said, they're all gone. So he ate every one of them. So if you want to bless Matt today, go buy him some Peeps. Because I'm sure he'll appreciate it. But even Matt knows and all of us know that there's much more to the Easter story than the Easter bunny and Easter eggs and Peeps, right? When we think of the Easter story, what do we think of? We think of Palm Sunday. Uh, we think of uh, the Last Supper. We think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, we think of the Via Della Rosa as he walks up that road and, and goes up to Golgotha and he's nailed to that cross. We think of the fact that he's placed in that tomb and we rejoice in the fact that on the third day he was raised from the dead. That's the Easter story. And, and uh, what we want to be able to do as born-again believers, if, if you don't know the Easter story and you're here today, well, well you'll hear it and, and maybe it'll be a chance for you to receive Christ. But most of you do know Christ. And we, want to, we live in a lost and dying world. And we want to do our very best to share the Easter story. So, so Peter's going to tell us how we do that today. And, and, and uh, for you to be able to share the Easter story, you've got to understand the Easter story. And you've got to understand especially one of the essential elements of the Easter story. And what is that? It's a word some of us don't like to hear. You can close your ears if you want to, but it's the word submission. Submission. Uh, Peter has been talking about submission in chapter 2 of, 
uh, his letter of his first epistle. And in last week he talked in last week's lesson, he talked about submitting to our government. Why do we submit to our government? Because every power has been given that authority by who? By God. And so when we submit to the king, we honor our king. When we submit to the government, we honor our government. When we rebel against the government, we dishonor our king. And so the first area of submission that he talked about was, was to our government. And in today's lesson, he's going to talk about servants being submissive to their masters. Uh, and then in next week's lesson, he's going to talk about submission in the family. And then in a lesson, in a future lesson in chapter 4, he's going to talk about submission in the church. But we're to be submissive people. And as I said last week, for Americans, that's a pretty hard thing to do because we're rebels at heart. We were born in rebellion. This nation was born in rebellion. And so it's tough for us. We're proud people. And in order to submit, what do you have to do? You have to humble yourself. And so what Peter does in the midst of all these lessons on submission, he implants the Easter story. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. And we're going to learn, what we're going to learn is that the Easter story is a story of submission. And so if you want to share the Easter story, then you've got to learn to submit. So go with me, if you will, to chapter 2 of 1 Peter. And uh, look with me there in uh, verse number 18. That's where we left off last time. And, and he begins this talking about masters or servants submitting to masters. And listen to what he says in verse number 18. He says, servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the hard, harsh. So we're to submit to our masters with fear. Now, we don't have slavery in the United States of America, so you could say, well, this doesn't apply to me, but it does apply to you. Where, where does it apply to you? It applies to you in the workplace. In the workplace, you're to submit to your boss. If it's a good boss, that's real easy to do, isn't it? He pays you well, gives you lots of vacation, gives you nice bonuses. That's real easy to do. But what if you have a harsh boss? Do you submit to him? Well, according to the word of God, you do, and you submit to him with all fear. Maybe a better word there, with all reverence, with all respect. Even if you have a harsh boss, you're to give him all respect. Now, why in the world would God want us to submit to a terrible boss? I mean, why would God want his children to, to be under such a situation? Well, let, let me tell you why. It's a matter of faith. It's a matter of faith. By faith, we believe that God is sovereign, especially over the affairs of his children. Now, if you're a child of God, when you look for your job, what should you have done? You should have prayed and asked God to lead you to the right job. And so if God leads you to that job, and lo and behold, the boss is harsh and mean, and you don't like your boss, who led you there? God did. Did he know your boss was going to be harsh and mean? You better believe he knew your boss was going to be harsh and mean. So by faith, we put ourselves in that situation and we don't cut and run. We don't quit. 
we allow ourselves to be under the rule of this harsh employer. And God's got his reasons. I mean, God's got his reasons because he's put you under that really terrible boss. I mean, I feel sorry for people like Bobby that work for guys like Chap. No, I'm teasing. But Chap, uh, Bobby's blessed. Some of you aren't so blessed. Some of you are sitting here thinking, man, my boss is terrible. You're hitting this right on the nose. But I don't want to submit to him. Well, why does God want me to submit to him? Why would God put me in a situation where he knew I was going to have this terrible boss? You know, one of the reasons is, and I learned this from my first job after I got saved, is to get that boss saved. He put me in a low place where for three years I suffered under a harsh boss, an unfair boss. He really wasn't that harsh, but he was unfair. He didn't pay me much. There were no vacations. He, if I, if if that van I was driving broke down, he didn't care if it was a day or two before he came out and got me. He was harsh and he was unfair. But he, over time, he got saved. I mean, maybe God placed you in that situation because there's some co-worker there that he, God wants you to comfort. That poor co-worker is being abused by the boss too and he wants you to comfort that co-worker. Maybe lead that co-worker to the Lord. But I can tell you one reason for sure. God has you where he has you. And that's because he's working on your character. He is building up your character. He is building you up into the image of Christ. He is sanding you. He's refining you. He is pruning you. And so we're to submit to that situation. And we're to trust the Lord. And... and uh, so we stay right where he's placed us. We don't move. I see people that cut and run all the time. And you know what they do? They jump out of the pan and into the fire. Let me tell you what. God places you in a job and you quit that job. The next job is not going to be better. It's going to probably be worse. And so you can run from job to job. But look out. God's going to eventually get a hold of you and he's going he's to teach you the lesson that you need to stay and you need to submit. Now, look at what he says in verse number 19. I mean, why? I mean, look at what he says. He says, for this is commendable. If because of conscience toward God, one endures grief and suffering wrongfully. He says, for what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently, but when you... But when you do good and suffer, but when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. You know what he's saying right here? This principle coincides with what Paul says over in Colossians chapter 3. He says that whatever we do, we do it heartily as to the Lord, in faith, by faith, in trusting the Lord, and not uh, to man. And so what that means is that as Christians, we see our employer not as our boss. We see God as our boss. That's who we see as our boss. And whatever we do, we do it unto the, God, unto, to the Lord. And so if we're treated with injustice, then we endure. And when we endure that, we're enduring it unto the Lord. We're serving the Lord. And, it's, and look at what he says. It's commendable before God. 
to suffer unjustly. That means he's well pleased with us if we stick with that situation and we don't quit. He's well pleased with us, for it is commendable if because of conscience toward God you endure grief and suffering wrongfully in your place of work or whatever situation God has you in. But there's another reason that is commendable before God. It's commendable before God, and here's where we get into the Easter story, because when we suffer unjustly, we follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. Should we expect less? I mean, did he suffer unjustly? Well, that's what Peter's going to show us in, in, in the Easter story. So look, we'll be at the next verse in verse number 21. He says, for to this you were called. What were you called to? To suffering unjustly to having a harsh boss, to having a harsh situation, to maybe having a difficult home, a difficult government. You're called to this because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. You know, there, there's a book called In His Steps, and in that book it's, it says that we're to... We're to you know, whatever, every situation we're in, we're to think about what Jesus would do in that situation and we're to follow in his steps and do uh, whatever he would do. Now, that's a, that, that, that doesn't work. We walk by the Spirit of God. And that's not, what, that's not what Peter's saying right here. But what he is saying is this. And whatever God has called us to do, there's probably going to be difficulty, especially if we're born-again believers. And so we need to follow his example and stick it out and, and follow in his steps. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8, you remember when we were back in Hebrews, there was a very strange verse there. It says, though Jesus was the Son of God, he learned obedience through the suffering of the cross. Now think about that a minute. God is omniscient. What does that mean? He knows absolutely everything. He can't learn anything. But yet, the author of Hebrews says, he learned obedience and submission through the suffering of the cross. I mean, how can God learn anything? I mean, he certainly knew, knew the meaning of suffering. He certainly knew the meaning of the word obedience. But here's the issue. God had never had to be obedient to anyone, had he? Never. Not once. Now, in, back in eternity past, who did God answer to? Nobody. In eternity now, who does God answer to? Nobody. He's not submissive to anybody. He's not submissive to you. Now, some people, there's, there's some television preachers that say God is there to submit to you and give you your will like a genie up in heaven. But God is not submissive to anybody. God doesn't have to be obedient to anybody. But he learned obedience through the suffering of the cross. He learned submission through the suffering of the cross. How? How could God, who doesn't answer to anybody, learn submission? Well, we're told over in Philippians. Back up a few books to the book of Philippians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. And look at 
chapter number 2. You know, it's a, it, it's a passage most of you are familiar with. We've gone over this over and over again, but this is absolutely amazing. And listen, how he starts it, verse number five. He says, let this mind be in you, which also was in Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus Christ? King of kings and Lord of lords, almighty God. So, should we be taken back when he asks us to follow in his steps? No. He said, Paul says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Jesus Christ, who being in the form of God before he came to this earth, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. In other words, he submitted to no one. I mean, he didn't have to submit to anybody. Everybody was under him. Everybody took orders from him. All the angels took orders from him. Everybody submitted to him. But look what he did. This is absolutely amazing what he did. Look in verse number 7. But he made himself, no, but verse number 6, I'm sorry. But who being in the form of God did not consider it equal, consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. That's us. He made himself a human being, taken on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man. And from that human standpoint, he learned obedience. He certainly knew what obedience was. He's omniscient. But he had never experienced obedience. He had never experienced submission. But he did when he took on the form of a man. And being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself. What do you have to do in order to be submissive? You've got to humble yourself. And the reason a lot of us aren't submissive is because we're full of pride. And if you're full of pride, God's going to, if you're a child of God, God's going to knock that pride out from under you. If you don't humble yourself, who's going to humble you? God is. And so he humbled himself, and he became obedient to the point of death, even to the death on the cross. I mean, here was the God who answered to no one who became obedient to the cross. Why did he do that? Why did he do that? Because he submitted his needs to whose needs? To your needs, my needs. Oh, man, let me tell you something. God didn't have to do that. But let me tell you, if he hadn't have done that, you would be dead in your trespasses. We would be wasting our time. There would be no such thing as Easter. We'd be on the road to hell if he hadn't done that. But he submitted his needs to our needs and became obedient to death, even to, watch how Paul adds to that, not just death, even to the death on a cross, the death of a cross. That's not any death. That's the most brutal death man has ever devised. I mean, here was Jesus beaten to an inch of his life. Nailed to a cross, naked, hanging there, suffering. God Almighty, mind you, for you and me. Why did he do that? In order to save us. And you know what he says from that cross today? You know what, the Easter, what he says about the Easter story? I want you to submit too. 
I want you to follow in my steps. Hey, listen, our stories parallel a little bit to his story. You understand who you are? If you're a born-again believer, you are a child of God. And one day, I'm going to tell you some good news here. You're not going to answer to anyone but God. You're going to rule and reign on a throne with Jesus Christ, and, and people are going to answer to you. The angels even, we're told in Hebrews, are even going to answer to you. But that's not the case now. Because God wants us to learn something. He wants us to learn the Easter story. He wants to apply the Easter story to our lives. He wants us to learn submission. You think maybe he left an example for us? For us to follow? He certainly did. Go back to 2 Peter and look at verse 22. And this certainly doesn't parallel us because look at verse number 22. He says, who committed no sin. God who committed no sin, was killed as a criminal on a cross. Nor was deceit found in his mouth. He's quoting there from Isaiah 53. It just reads just like the gospel. Jesus never once lied. He never once sinned. And yet, how was he treated? Was he treated fairly? Was he treated as the king of kings and lord of lords, as the Messiah? No, he was treated as a criminal. He submitted. And then look at verse 23, who when he was reviled, watch this now, we're supposed to follow his example. When he was reviled, he did not revile back. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to God who judges all things righteously. Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords. You think he was reviled? He was reviled for 33 years of his life, but he didn't revile back. Was he threatened? Yeah, he was threatened with death the whole time he was performing his ministry. And those weren't empty threats because they nailed him to a cross. And even when he was on that cross, those people down below him jeered at him and laughed at him and scoffed at him. But he didn't revile back. He didn't strike back. He didn't make threats. You know what he did? He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And why did he do all that? Because he committed himself to God who judges, to the Father who judges righteously. And in doing so, he made what Paul called the good confession. I would call it the great confession. I mentioned this last week. Paul, Paul talks about it over in 1 Timothy. But I, I want you to see this and see the magnitude of this. Go with me over to 1 Timothy. Pass 1 and 2 Thessalonians and go to 1 Timothy. To chapter number 6. 
And he's given Timothy this great exhortation on how to be a godly man and a great pastor, a great man of God, a great book to read. And he says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse number 11, he says, but you, O man of God, speaking to Timothy, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. In other words, submit your conduct to God. Fight the good fight of faith. Laid hold on, on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession. How did he confess the good confession? Timothy, by his good conduct. Not by a bunch of words, but by his good conduct in the presence of many witnesses. Then he goes on in verse number 13. I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus who, watch this, Witnessed, I call it the great confession before Pontius Pilate. What was the great confession that Jesus witnessed? You know what his great confession was? He didn't say much of anything. Now don't get me wrong, the few things that he said were quite profound. They were coming out of the mouth of God. But he didn't say much, and that's what Paul's referring to here. I mean, here he was, he was reviled, but he didn't revile back. He was threatened. Pilate was telling him, I'm about to hang you on a cross if you don't, if you don't defend yourself, and he wouldn't defend himself. He was threatened, but he didn't strike back. Let me ask you a question. You think he could have struck back at Pilate? Let me tell you what, he could have obliterated that little worm right on the spot. And that's what he would have happened to him if I were God. I would have obliterated him. He wouldn't, this wouldn't have gone any further. And you would have all died in your sins. That little weasel, bad-mouthing God, like the weasels in politics do today. And, and he knew he was a fox and a weasel. Jesus knew that, but he didn't strike back. You know what? Jesus, by his word, could have put Pilate up on a cross. But he didn't do that. He submitted. And he, by submitting and keeping his mouth shut and not striking back, he made a great confession before Pontius Pilate. Now, Pontius Pilate, I don't believe by, for one minute that he got saved. But you and I did. And you and I did because he made that good confession. Because he didn't strike back. He didn't demand his rights. Now, watch this, what he says that you keep this commandment without spot. You do the same thing. You, make, you continue, Timothy, you continue, church, to make the good confession. When you're reviled, you don't revile back. When you're threatened, you don't strike back. You turn your cheek. Without spot, blameless until the Lord Jesus Christ appearing, which he will manifest in his own, only on time. Hey, his time's coming. His day's coming. He, he answers to nobody anymore. He's submissive to no one anymore. He submitted for your sake and my sake, but that's over. Because he who is blessed and only potentate. What's that mean, potentate? That word potentate. It means sovereign. All power belongs to Jesus Christ. All power belongs to Jesus Christ. He doesn't have to submit to anybody. And one day he's going to return and he's going to show the world his power. Who is he? He's king of kings and lord 
of lords. Look at it right there in that text. Who's king of kings and lord of lords? Let me tell you who he is. What's his name? Jesus, the one that died for you on the cross, the one that was raised on the third day. He isn't just a man. He's king of kings and lord of lords. Now, here's what I want you to see. That's why I didn't just mention the text. I want you to watch the transition that Paul makes from Jesus, God in the flesh, King of kings and Lord of lords, to Jesus who is Jehovah God. Back up just a second. He who is blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, watch what he says next. Who's the King of kings and Lord of lords? Jesus, who alone has immortality, alone, dwelling in an unapproachable light. That's Jesus, to to whom no man has seen or no man can see. You You see how he's melding in the Son and to the Father? To whom be honor and everlasting power and glory forever. Amen. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, God, all the Godhead dwells of him bodily. He emptied himself of all that glory, and he came to this earth to die for your sins and my sins. He submitted, and he was obedient, and that's why you're saved. And now he's back in glory and inapproachable light. John saw some of that, and when John saw Jesus in glory, he saw something different than he had seen on this earth. Who is Jesus? He's Jehovah God in the flesh. God who submitted and went to the cross to heal you from your sins. That's what he did it for. Look back at 1 Peter chapter 2. who himself, see that cap there, God Almighty, bore our sins in his own body on a tree. He's quoting there from Deuteronomy where there's a passage about the Messiah dying on a tree. Cursed is everyone who dies on a tree. He was cursed by man. That we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes we are healed. Now, I believe in healing of God, and I believe it's through the stripes of Jesus Christ that we have physical healing, but that's not what Peter's referring to here. You can find other passages that you can back that up with, but, but especially in the Gospels, but, but uh, that's not what he's referring to. What's he, what kind of healing is he talking about here? He's talking about the healing of the soul. He's talking about being healed from our sins, and by his stripes we are healed from our sins. I mean, just... Ponder that for a minute. That God would submit and humble himself and die naked and humiliated on a cross with stripes on his back from a Roman whip and be put in a grave, given up as dead. Ponder the fact he would do that for you and me. That was Friday, but Sunday was a coming. And on Sunday, he got up out of that grave. He went down into the earth. He preached the gospel. We'll talk about that later on in, in, in 1 Peter. But on the third day, he brought himself up out of that grave. 
and so that he could give us life and he could heal us from our sin. Then we finish up verse number 25. For you, you and me, every one of us, for you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and bishop, overseer, bishop, the pastor of your souls. That's the Easter story. Easter story doesn't mean anything if he's not your shepherd, if he's not your bishop, if he's not your overseer. All you got to do is to receive the gift. And let me tell you what, don't tell me there's some other way that you can get to heaven. There's not. God would not empty himself of his glory and die naked, beaten on a cross and submit to that pain. He didn't have to if there was another way. There is no other way but the cross. And those of us who have received that gift of salvation, we're like sheep going astray, but who now have turned to the shepherd and bishop of our souls. But don't pat yourself on the back if you know anything about sheep. Why do sheep return to the shepherd? Do they return to the shepherd because they're smart? No, and neither were you. Do they return to the shepherd because they're loyal to the shepherd? No. They return to the shepherd because the shepherd goes out and finds them and brings them back to the fold. Jesus said, left, he left the 99 to go find the one. He goes out and he chases you down, and he brings you into the fold. And he becomes the bishop and overseer of your soul. He's done that for you. And he's done that for me. But that came at a price. To do that, our shepherd had to submit to Pilate, to the Pharisees, to the Sadducees, to that old fox Herod. They put a robe on him and sped on him and mocked him. But he was thinking of you. He was chasing after you. And what should our response be? To receive that great gift and then go out and tell the Easter story ourselves. And how do you tell the story? Well, look at verse number 21 again. For to this you were called, to what? To suffering and obedience and submission. Because he left us an example that we should follow in his steps. When we trust God in the situation that God has placed us in, we tell the Easter story. Because that's not the way of the world. And when we do that, people see Jesus alive in us. 
Bill Gothard tells the story about a young teenager in his church who lived in a very abusive home. His father abused him quite often, physically. Not sexually, but physically. And the boy, to get away from his father, decided to start going to church just to get away from his father. But in the process of going to church, he got saved. And he said, hey, man, I'm saved. I'm going to go to Wednesday night church too. You only go, go to Wednesday night if you're saved. Yeah, I hope our Wednesday night crowd doubles this week. I'm joking. I'm joking. That's a joke. But he asked his dad, Dad, I want to go to church on Wednesday. He said, you go to church enough. You go Sunday. I mean, what do you want to go on Wednesday for? He said, Dad, I just want to go to church. His dad reluctantly let his son go. And his son went to church. And he got to church. And when church was over, there was some teenage boys there and they, they said, look, we're gonna, we're, I'm going to give everybody a ride home. You want to ride with us? You don't have to walk all the way back home. He said, yeah, I'll take a ride. So he got in the car with the teenagers, and he started driving home, and he got to the house, and his father saw him drive up, and he saw all the teenage boys in the car. And as soon as the son walked in the door, he started yelling at his son, I can't believe you lied to me. You didn't go to church. You went out with your friends. He said, no, Dad, I, I, I went to church. I promise you I went to the church. No, you're lying to me. And because you've lied to me twice, I'm going to give you a double whipping. And his son said, you know, he wanted to rear back. He wanted to hit his dad. He wanted to fight against his dad, but he loved his dad. And he understood enough about submission to say, you know what? I'm not going to argue with my dad. I'm going to take this whipping. And his dad proceeded to whip his son really bad. Well, a couple days later, his dad was in the hardware store. And he ran across the pastor. And they were making small talk. And the pastor said, look, I just want you to know you have a really fine son. Really fine son. He said, he gave one of the best testimonies I've ever heard Wednesday night. And the dad said, you mean to tell me my son was at church Wednesday night? He said, of course he was. His dad kind of choked up and said, look, i got to go. And he paid his bill at the hardware store and went home and went to his son and he said, son, I'm so sorry for the way I've treated you. I was so wrong. And he went in his closet, and he got on his knees, and he gave his life to the Lord. Why did he give his life to the Lord? Because he had heard the Easter story. He had heard the Easter story in a way he had never heard it before. Through his son's submission. What's the Easter story? God submitted to a brutal death on a cross 
He died for my sins and yours. But the tomb is empty. And he's alive. And he's back in glory. And he submits to no one now. How do people know he's alive? How, do, how, do, how does the story get told? When they see him alive in you. That's how. I was reading, I saw a title to a sermon that a pastor is going to be preaching this week, and it, his title to his sermon was, Easter is All About Freedom. And I could preach a sermon along those lines I, I, and be very biblical, so I'm not criticizing this pastor's title at all. It's a good title. Because let me tell you what, Easter is a story about freedom. I've been set free from the law of sin and death. I've been set free from death itself. Oh, grave, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Because of what Jesus has done for me. But the story can't end there. I mean, we've been set free so that we can empty ourselves of ourselves and become bondservants of God so that we can follow in the steps of Jesus and submit. Listen to me, parents. If you're trying to tell your kids or your grandkids about the Easter story and you're, you never submit in your home to your wife or to your husband, you just about all about you, they're not going to listen to you. If you go to work and you're demanding your rights and you're complaining about your boss and you're telling everybody how much you hate your job and you're quitting this job and going to that job, nobody's going to listen to you. You're talking about rebelling against the government and how much you hate the government and, and all of these kind of things, and, and that's hard not to do. But nobody's going to listen to you. They listen to you. When someone strikes you and you don't strike back. They listen to you when you're reviled and you don't revile back. They listen to you when things get tough and you don't quit. They listen to you when you endure and don't rebel. That's how you share the Easter story. The story that Christ is alive Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you so much for the Easter story. We thank you so much that you would humble yourself and die for our sins in such a brutal way, Lord. Even on death on a cross. But Lord, we're so grateful that that grave didn't hold you down, that on the third day you rose from the dead. And Lord, you have set us free. You've set us free from the law of sin and death. You've set us free from death itself. For Lord, help us to give you back that freedom and submit to you as bondservants and to submit to one another so that people can see Christ in us this Easter and throughout the year. Teach us these great lessons, Lord. I know you're teaching us these things through our experiences. Help us to balance our experiences with your word as we live out this week in the coming weeks and years. As we serve you, Lord, 
And as we look towards that day when we see you in glory, King of kings and Lord of lords, it's in his great name I pray.